Bobby, what's wrong with the car? Uh-oh, I think it's broke. Look, that thing there is all swoped up. We, we got a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. We can find out. I think we should just start poking stuff. Oh, all right. All right. don't do that, folks. Tune into the Grease Gurus. Don't go to the emergency room. Go to the Grease Gurus and learn why your car might have stopped on the side of the road and what not to touch. On Saturday mornings <laughs> from 10 a.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Ouch, that hurt. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, Call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. As these surfers rode more and more of the North Shore's fantastic waves, The biggest wave of all still eluded them. The spot, Waimea Bay, which began to break when the rest of the North Shore was too big to surf. But Waimea Bay was riddled with taboos and fears as surfers of the 50s were haunted. I mean, it spooked everybody. They were like, you can't ride there. It's it's a killer. We're not gonna go out there, you're gonna die. Along with the death of Dickie Cross, Waimea's reputation was steeped in superstition and dread, with tales that ranged from haunted houses on the point to human sacrifices at the Hale or Hawaiian burial ground overlooking the bay. All of these things were whizzing around this place like a bunch of ghouls, and people really believed that if you paddled out, there was going to be this damn vortex. It'd be like flushing the toilet, and there go the howlies for the season. People thought you couldn't ride Waimea Bay. They, they watched it, they looked at it, and they said, can't be done. You know, you'd look at Waimea and you'd wonder, can the human body survive the wipeout? But the lure of riding Waimea was unrelenting, as during each big swell, surfers would find themselves standing spellbound on the shore, transfixed by the sight of these huge, perfectly shaped waves exploding off the point. On a fall day in October of 1957, a handful of surfers converged on Waimea as a 20-foot swell began lighting up the bay. Sitting on the point watching the huge empty waves with his buddy Mike Stang, 19-year-old Greg Knoll had finally seen enough. He unstrapped his board and with Mike Stang in tow, walked down to the water's edge. Moments later, they were joined by fellow surfers Pat Curran, Mickey Munoz, Del Cannon, Fred Van Dyke, Harry Church, Bing Copeland, and Bob Burmell, who together with Nolan Stang paddled out to attempt the impossible. I was 
obvious where the waves were breaking and we'd all had enough experience so that you know you knew pretty much where to paddle to i remember paddling into the lineup you know and your were just in your stomach you know thinking that the bottom was going to fall out and something was going to eat you alive i'm thinking to myself i don't want to get wiped out because I know there's sharks here, and I'm, I'm not into swimming with sharks, exactly. I took off on a wave and went down the side and popped out the other end and went, I'm still alive, nothing's happened. After we got a couple of waves, it you know, that kind of took, you know, hey, we can do this, you know. They broke the taboo. They went out and did it. And once it was done, opened up the floodgates. Hello out there. Peabody and Sherman here. Set the Wayback Machine. We enter the Wayback and we're immediately hurtled back through time and space. This is the legendary guitarist Dick Dale. And you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Listen to the thunder. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tan Talk 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out the archive page where you can listen to all 400 and plus some odd shows. So, again, I want to welcome everybody back to Nostalgic Radio and Cars because we are going to continue with Legends of the Summer, the guest series. And uh, we have two really legendary surfers coming on the radio show here in a short short. So, uh, if you ever want to know everything there is to know about surfing and what it was like in Southern California and what it was like in Hawaii and, hey, even Florida. So, uh, stay tuned. we got uh, some pretty cool stuff coming up for you. Now, uh, real quickly, let me go right to the Florida Car Shows Minute, the FLA Car Shows Minute, because uh, if you want to find out what all the car guys are doing this summer, definitely check out flacarshows.com, and you can find out what they're up to. So whether you're in Central Florida, South Florida, North Florida, East Florida, West Florida, West Central Florida, Central West Florida, all over Florida, definitely check out flacarshows.com. Of course, one of the things that I'm going to this weekend is one of my favorites. First Sunday of every month, or it's not Sunday, Saturday is the Reeves Cars and Coffee. Great coffee, cool cars, and they got a guy over there that's been over there for a long time. Super, super, super tasty beignets. Yes, I get a weakness for beignets. Then, after that, we all head on over to uh, Gene Teston's Garage One because we continue the Cars and Coffee. He's got a Cars and Coffee event over there, and guess what? He furnishes coffee and delicious Dunkin' Donuts. Donuts, Dunkin', Dunkin'. Well, whatever they call it. Was it Duncan? Hey, how you doing, Vaughn? <laughs> hey, how you doing tonight, Robert? Pretty good. I see. That's yeah, Dunkin' Donuts. Is it Dunkin' Donuts? Okay, yeah. I say hi to your sweetie. She's sitting over there listening to the show. She comes in and visits us every once in a while. We're going to make a car girl out of here pretty soon. We'll make a surf chick out of her tonight, though. So she's going to dig this and because uh, she loves the beach. There you go. At any rate, uh, what's up? Well, obviously, in three weeks, Monterey Collector Car Week. That is probably my favorite event throughout the year. 
SAC 43, which is a Shelby American Automobile Club, Shelby Automobile, Shelby American Automobile Club, 43rd convention will take place this weekend at Sonoma, or Sears Point Raceway in Northern California. Darn, I wish I could be there. And also next weekend is Bonneville Speed Week, which is something else I've always wanted to go to. But hey, you know that's just isn't in the cards, you know. So uh, if we get the Monterey, that'll be a good thing. Now, what's going on next month? Well, next month is the beginning of all the swap meets, which uh, a lot of stuff going on. The Clearwater Superboat races will be back here. I think it's the 10th year. That's the last week in September. SEMA is coming up. That is the first weekend in November, last weekend in October. And let's see. I think that pretty much covers it. Now, um, one of the things that we're working on here, this was my son's idea. Now, if you notice, we had the Legends of the Summer guest series, which was really cool because this time we had uh, the legendary Bruce Myers on, car guy extraordinaire, invented the uh, or father of the fiberglass dune buggy. Pretty cool guy. We had the premier the very first super rock surf guitarist dick dale on our show that was a real treat hopefully he'll come to concert here and we'll be definitely doing some cross promoting with him uh then we had another local favorite a guy that used to race all over the country but based right out of clearwater florida my good friend gary king and uh he used to run uh well let's call it uh Grand National Boat Race, I guess you would call it. So that's kind of like Grand National. When you think Grand National, you think of uh, NASCAR. So Grand National Car Racing, but this is Grand National Boat Racing on the water. Pretty serious stuff. So uh, And tonight we have two more legends to round off the month, and we're excited to have these guys because these guys were truly, truly pioneers in the industry. Now, I think what we're going to do, because we uh, don't want to keep these guys waiting too long, we're going to go ahead and give them a call. So let's play a little classic surf music this is surf city this is one of the first records i ever bought at a goodwill store and it was uh surf city by janet dean before the beach boys believe it or not and uh so in fact heineton beach has been designated surf city you know because when i bought the 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 record i thought hey surf city where's surf city you know so all growing up in california in the 60s i was trying to figure out well where's surf city there never really was a surf city but now Huntington Beach has been designated Surf City. So when you think of Surf City, the song, don't forget to check out Surf City, Huntington Beach. So uh, let's go ahead and spin the uh, spin the table there a little bit. And uh, Surf City by Janet Dean. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Winning Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be by, we, will, we will be right back. Surf City, here we go.
listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. Freeways, man, is he hard to catch.
Okay, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our first guest for the evening. This uh, gentleman is legendary in the surf world, starting out in the 50s, building uh, some pretty cool surfboards, and then ultimately uh, masterminding his own company with his own brand that uh, survives to this day and is very well respected in the surf world industry. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, surf legend Bing Copeland. Bing, how you doing? Doing good. How are you doing, Robert? Now, I have I have to ask this question because uh, you, your buddy's coming on here in a little bit. And I was talking to his wife, Laura, in a few minutes, and she goes, you know, we moved from Southern California to Northern California. You moved to Idaho. Exactly. There's no surf there. It, there's no surf here, but I also have a home in Baja where there is surf. Okay, there you go. That works out real well. Well, give us a little history on yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got started in the surf world and what was the lure? Well, 70 years ago, uh, 1949, uh, I, I was uh, 13 years old and started. I was body surfing and hanging around the beach in Manhattan Beach, California. And uh, one day I went out on the pier and I saw these guys riding these big redwood and balsa plank surfboards, big 100-pound boards. And uh, I was enthralled with it. And I stood on the pier and watched them. And uh, before long, this other guy came up and was standing beside me. And it turns out it was Greg Knoll. He was a year younger. He was 12. And he was a bait boy on the end of the pier. But he was watching the surfers, too. And we got to talking. And uh, that was the beginning of our friendship. So 70 years later, uh, you know, Greg and I went through a lot of uh, things together, especially in the early 50s. Uh, some we can talk about, some we can't, and uh, I'm sure that every every event that happened that we that we uh, shared will each, after all these years, will each have a different uh, version of what happened. So, <laughs> okay, cool. So when did you first start making your first board? I mean, obviously, I was reading a little story on it, a little bio on it, and I guess evidently your dad had a hardware store. So my father had a hardware store. Yeah, yeah he built me a pet. He okay. built a paddleboard for me. He built oh. a paddleboard okay. that the fishtail, like a pointed tail paddleboard that was basically for paddling, and he thought that would take care of me for surfing. But you know, after riding that for a couple of days, I realized that wasn't going to happen, and I had to have this Simmons surfboard that cost forty-five dollars and weighed forty-five pounds, and but was considered really light in those days. So I finally convinced him to to cough up the forty-five dollars if I promised to take the trash out for the rest of my life and all that stuff but but uh i got the simmons board and then that was the beginning of when i really started surfing but you asked me what now where, uh, so when you when you first how started, I got started, yeah how did you start getting got, yeah and then kind of define well, tell us what a shaper is well first of all let me let me go through a little bit sure please i uh <laughs> i i grew up there we surfing there went up from time i was 13 but you know 1949 19 54, I graduated high school, joined the lifeguards, worked for uh, a summer, saved the money, uh, flew to Hawaii with a bunch of friends, uh, six friends, five friends, six of us, and uh, surfed Hawaii until our money was running out. And two of us joined the Coast Guard. We were already in the Coast Guard Reserves in high school, so we just went active. We got to stay in Hawaii for the next two years and surf. So, you know, when, when we were off duty, and uh, so that was wonderful. And then at the, while, we, while we were surfing, we're surfing at this place called Alamoana Yacht Harbor. <clears throat> we started sailing uh, on a yacht, crewing on a yacht with this couple. 
had a little boy. And, uh, the, the, you know, we, we sailed in some races around the island and so forth. And then um, when we got out of the Coast Guard, we went back to California. And, and then our friends from the yacht asked us if we wanted to come back to Hawaii and go on a trip around the world with us. So we jumped on, the, on that and sailed from, went back, sailed from Honolulu to Tahiti and then on to uh, Fiji, Samoa. And ended up uh, in 1958, um, Thanksgiving 1958, ended up in uh, Auckland, New Zealand. And we had our Belsey Balsa surfboards with us at the time. And we uh, we uh, introduced the, the modern-day surfboard to their country at that time. <clears throat> so while we were there, they didn't have surfboards. So Rick and I found some styrofoam in Auckland at the, some of the stores and got some resin and and in the surf club uh, out by Piha, where the surf was, we built them about six or seven boards. And uh, I thought, well, I can do this. So when uh, we got back to California after that, we had we had to get back within a year to keep our lifeguard job. Uh, we opened a little shop, and that's how it all started. Interesting, interesting. You know what's fascinating? The fact that you guys crewed on a ship, traveled halfway around the South Pacific in a way, wound up in Australia— that's pretty fascinating, and for a young kid, that has to be mind blowing. Well, I was, I was twenty-one or twenty-two by then. That's still young. But it was mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no cell phones. <laughs> no cell phones. Okay, cool. Hey, listen, I think I got your partner in crime on the phone. Uh, okay. And uh, are we are we mic'd up in there? We're ready to go? Okay, hey, I'm delighted to welcome to the show another surf legend, Greg DeBull. No, Greg, welcome to Nostalgic Radio on Cars. How you doing? Just an old bull, no legend. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right, got to watch the language there. But anyway, um, you slipped. <laughs> Okay, but uh, yeah. Hi, Ben. How you doing, man? <laughs> Hi, Greg. Seems Hi, like Greg. the only time I ever get to talk to you is when you're uh, doing an interview and I bust in on you. <laughs> either that, either that, or when somebody dies and we have to call and talk about it. I know. I, I still, and that's getting more frequently, man. <laughs> Hey, listen, you know what You know what amazes me? Now, I had, in the last uh, month, I had Bruce Myers on, which you're good friends with him, Bing, and he's 90-something. We had Dick Dale on. He's in his 80s. You guys are both up there as well. Is there something about the, the water that surfers drink that you guys are so, like, lively, vivacious, and healthy at your ages? Because that's inspiring. We don't no. get too inspired. Don't no, we'll get too inspired. Okay. <laughs> I, who knows? Who knows what it is? I'm a, I'm 82, and I think Greg is probably 81. So. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's see. I thought he was. I thought he was going to be younger than me. But, uh, he did tell the truth. He did tell the truth. Okay. Well, now he was just telling me um, about how he kind of like when he got involved in surfing back at the early age of 13, then uh, in the mid-50s, he went to Hawaii, which seems like, what is it about Hawaii? That, and Greg, you were there too. In fact, somewhere I was reading that you did a number of movies, you know, searching for the ultimate surf. You did three or four movies on that. And then I think it was 1957. All you guys were out there in Waimea Bay, you know, trying to tackle those killer waves. Actually, Bing was our leader. I just, I just followed him everywhere he went. Is that what it was? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not true. Greg, Greg was the Pied Piper on that one for sure. 
Well, speaking of the Pied Piper, you uh, kind of manhandled the pipeline up there. On that, apparently, that's uh, some pretty treacherous water there. So, tell us a little bit about that, and how what 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 kind of nerve do you have to have? Because when I was watching the video there, you were sitting there for a long time. I mean, you really have to get up enough gumption there to get that thing, because that's uh, those are killer waves. And if you don't attack those just right and you know get off the wall, you know it, it'll pound you in the ground and bust you up in a million pieces. And they'll never put you Go back ahead, together right? again. And they'll never put you yeah, back you know, it's, the, the pipeline's just just another surf spot over there. It's pretty hairball because it's uh, hard to, you know, it's a hard place to make it uh, when you don't know what you're doing. The first day we saw it, we tried to ride it. I mean, it's just one dump after another. Guys trying to, you know, catch a wave and get one well, a decent wave. And I think Phil Edwards was the first guy to really kind of ride it, you know, halfway. And then uh, through the years, you know, they got better and better at it. You know, like Jerry Lopez was probably the, the pinnacle of uh, who could ride the pipeline uh, as well as it could be ridden. Now, let me, let me ask you this about surfboards, and then you guys can take turns and answer this. When you, like in, in car racing, okay, the better equipment you have, obviously the better you'll do on a track. And it's a lot, it has to do with suspension, has to do with handling, has to do with tires, has to do with, you know, obviously some driver abilities as well. In surfing, how much of, in particular, let's say shooting the curl or riding a pipeline or, or some of the other crazy stuff that you guys do, how important is that style of surfboard? Yeah, it's important, real important. Okay, so About give us... 50-50 probably your board and, and the other component uh is balls <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> nerves yeah. of steel you definitely, as I see. you definitely have to definitely have to be in shape and uh when you're young like that you you and you surf every day you, you naturally just get in shape so and like the pipeline it's uh I, I didn't ever surf the pipeline for some crazy reason but greg did and uh you know that's shallow water that's coral reef and and uh, you can get you know, you can get caught underneath a ledge. It's, it's pretty hairy. It's, it's a scary yeah, spot. I've seen a lot of, seen a lot of guys walk up the beach bleeding. So, and Big yeah. tell you about that when him and his uh, another good friend who made boards, Rick Stoner, um, when he you know, introduced surfboards to uh, New Zealand. Still remember uh, Bing and Rick uh, taking the first boards down there. Tell them about that. Yeah, he was talking I about that. I just spoke about that, but but on the same token. Uh, Greg Knoll did the same thing in Australia about a year and a half or two earlier. I think it was the 1957, what they called the Summer Olympics in in Australia, which is uh, actually around December, I think, because that's their summer. But didn't you do that? Greg went over with a bunch of lifeguards and uh, yeah, introduced yeah, the Malib- Mike, Malibu surfboard. Mike Bright and I brought our boards over there, and oddly enough, I, I figured by now they'd They'd figure out a way to uh, take complete credit for it. You know, the Aussies are really proud. <laughs> but but we went down. They had a. They actually had a. Um, uh, I don't know what to call it, but a, like they relived the thing about uh, six months ago. Uh, they had Laura and I come down and Cornell Point. There, they had guys going out on shortboards and uh, uh, you know the, the early day Malibus that we brought to kind of relive the thing, and uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> nice people. Good, good fun. Yeah, I had this. I had the same experience uh, in New Zealand. Uh, they uh, flew my wife and I, Connolly and I, back uh, over there for the 50, 50 year reunion from when we when we were there. So we had a week long celebration on the beach there with all the 
all the old guys that were young kids 50 years ago, now they're, they're now they're grown men. It was really quite quite surreal. Yeah. Now both you guys built boards in the 50s and early 60s, and so what was kind of like the main difference between your style of boards? Were they similar? Was it just the name, or was there different? Uh, you know, you talk about shaping and stuff. Was there, you know, um, were the boards because you know you've got big wave boards and then you've got your let's just say your your small wave boards, I guess is what you would call them. And, and back it, it, what, and, when we were building boards. Uh, they were all big, bigger boards, long boards. Okay, right. We didn't really, towards the end of the 60s and the beginning of the 70s, we started building some shorter boards, but mostly it was long boards. And, and we used basically the same materials. Uh, you know, we had our individual shapes. We had our individual logos. Of course, mine were a little better. Uh, <laughs> God, you beat me to it. <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> Uh, okay, so like the early boards were, I mean, the real, the, the 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 original boards were basically wood. Okay, and then ultimately, I think they used a combination of foam and balsa, or balsa and a little bit of foam, you know, covered in glass. So take us through the process a little bit, and the evolution of the surfboard. And Go ahead, Greg. Greg, you can do that. Well, you know, uh, it started out where Bing and I were just, you know little beach rats hanging around Velzy's shop, soaking everything up that he was doing. And um, I remember Velzy and his glasser, Billy Barr, went out to uh, eat lunch. They ended up getting totally based. And, oops, I'm sorry. Uh, and when they came you said back... Sh- you said ship anyway, right? Yeah, ship-faced. Ship, ship-faced, okay. Uh, when they came back from lunch, I shaped this board, and Velzy looked at the board, and he looked at me, and couple of times of that and he told me to put the planer down or never pick it up again because <laughs> uh, basically he knew that he could see competition coming and i think bing's deal was pretty similar to that and yeah. then yeah. later on the evolution each guy had uh, had his own riders just like you know the grand prix or something like that you know the, the bing had david noiva and i had mickey dora and uh, I wish they didn't, but I did. Uh, <laughs> and, and then Hobie, uh, Hobie had, uh, uh, I forget, what was Bill Edwards. Uh, Bill Edwards. Yeah, right. Phil, oh, Phil Edwards. Sure, yeah. So uh, everybody kind of had their own riders, and uh, those guys had their own followings. It was a lot different than it is now. You know, now you, you wait by the docks for your board, your pop-out from China. And in those days, man, you went into a bar and said, I write a, a this or a that. And if it wasn't a board that the guy liked, it, it, it might end up rolling around on the ground settling whose board was the best. It's, like I say, there's, there's no pride in, uh, in, uh, in, you know, like having a particular guy build your board anymore, hardly. Yeah. In the early 60s, when you guys were building boards, how much did it cost to make a board? How long did it take to make a board? And what did you sell the boards for? They started off ahead, around a hundred dollars. Yeah, they started off around a hundred dollars, hundred and five, hundred and ten. Mm-hmm. Actually, my very first shop, I was selling them for eighty-five. I don't remember what they cost, but it was probably not much less than that. Uh, but you know, that's that's what they were for from eighty-five dollars up to one hundred and twenty, thirty, forty in the in, in the very beginning, like that. Okay, and but uh, I'll tell you something interesting though. Sure. In, in our era, the the, uh, 
all the advertising was in the surf magazine. Mm-hmm. You know, we paid big bucks for these full-page, double-page spreads in the surf magazines. And nowadays, the surf magazines are basically gone, with the exception of the Surfer's Journal, which doesn't do surfboard ads in it. Um, and all the advertising these days is done on the Internet and social media. It's totally different. Interesting. Now, both you guys, um, Greg, your son kind of carried on the tradition, so he's building boards, your son Jed, right? And Bing, you right. S- you sold your company out, but you've got a guy that's kind of like, uh, you're, you're still, you have, he has, I guess, evidently naming rights or something like that, so you're he's, still... He's, we, are, we are partners in the name. Okay. And he, and he uh, builds the boards and just sends me royalty checks. Okay. And, but so basically, he's just waiting by the mailbox for a check. <laughs> Surfer. Surfer money. Surfer money. Okay. <laughs> so, like, now, do you guys, are the, are the boards that you guys make today, um, in your case, Greg, your son, and in your case, um, Bing, yeah. are they traditional style boards, and they're, are they kind of like handmade, custom-made boards, and there's a premium for those versus the typical, let's just say, import production um, boards that people just jump on and ride just to say they're surfers? Yes, yes. Your turn, Greg. Well, I think, you know, there is so much nostalgia in this whole thing, which I don't understand. But guys, you know, it was a great time in their life. They were young. They were scoring heavy at the at the bars, you know, with the girls. <laughs> they were riding, riding uh, waves all day long and just having a different time. And uh, it's it, it you know it stuck with them and they they may want to go to Bing or me or Hap or somebody and get a board just like they rode when they were a kid and there's a few of us that have uh, you know that have followed up on that and uh, made boards are mostly for collectors you know a few guys ride them okay but I th- I think everybody's been touched by that I know I've seen some of Bing's boards at auctions that he's made recently and. Uh, some of the other guys too. Let me ask you this: um, a surfboard. Let's just say, for example, I had a vintage surfboard from back in the day. How is was there a longevity, a lifespan to those surfboards? I mean, or would they would they expire after a certain amount, you know, a few years or something like that? Let's assume they were were taken care of. Okay, they weren't crashing the seawalls or you know pilings or anything like that, and uh, you know or ran into the rocks. But let's just say the the surfboard, if it was taken care of and you know put put away, would that, would that still be a good surfboard today by comparison to the ones that you make? Well. Um... Depends on who's riding it. If you took a guy like Wingnut that could ride up, you know, his front door um, to his house, <laughs> I would say that, uh, you know, he could he could ride just about anything and ride it well, you know. Uh-huh. But I, I think the way I kind of look at it is in the early days they had balsa redwoods, which, you know, they weighed a tremendous amount. They weighed, you know, 50, 75 pounds. And once they got the weight down where they were – using balsa and, and then foam, it really broke the, you know, the, the mold. And uh, it was like kind of like in the early boards going from the horse and buggy to the porch. Then, the, you know, the new boards, yeah, there's a change, you know, and, and there are advantages, but not like the first, the initial uh, drop in weight, you know. Mm-hmm. Good surfer can ride a board that Binger I made in the, early days and, and ride the hell out of it, I think. 
There, there are there are guys now. Some hot, some of the hot longboard surfers that seek out our old boards uh, because they really like the way they ride. They ride them, from, and they'll have some contest. They'll have like uh, boards that were made uh, prior to 1970, and uh, and they have some great contests. And and the the good surfers, they they still like them. But I will say one thing: the boards that, like uh, Jed builds now, and Matt, who builds my board, they, those boards, the Finnish boards, are so much nicer. They're really, really beautiful. I mean, they're really clean. It, it, it's come a long way, uh, the craftsmanship and fine finish, the polished finish, and so forth. It's, they're, it's pretty amazing. They're well worth the thousand to fifteen hundred dollars that you pay for a new board now. Okay, Greg, are your are your are Jed's boards also are they are they also in that price range a thousand fifteen hundred dollars? No, no, they're more. I'm embarrassed to tell you what I charge. They're more. <laughs> no, no, that's a, he, Greg's talking. Greg's talking about the, the wall hangers and stuff. I'm talking about the guy that walks walks in and buys a board now to surf right every day. Right, right, right. Yeah. All right, so the early surfboards. All right, let's say in the in the. In the '60s, Bing, when you built your boards and, and Greg yours as well, what was the core of the the surfboard? So, if you had to break down the composition, start. What did you start with? Take us through the process of building a surfboard. Balsa wood. Balsa wood. And then and then it slid into foam. Is that okay. my oh, phone? Oh, are, are the batteries crapping out my phone? Do you hear funny noises? <laughs> no, we hear you fine. That was me. Okay. Oh, okay. Anyway, go ahead. So you had balsa wood, and that was uh, the, the major part of it, and then you slid it into foam, and then you wrapped it in fiberglass. Is that the way it is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whether it's balsa or, I mean, the board's got to be shaped. And then uh, when Simmons came along, he figured out, you know, that fiberglass worked in, uh, on either balsa or foam, and that dropped the weight dramatically, which within a year or so, the trip the Surfing population probably tripled or quadrupled. Okay, so the the shaping actually takes place when you put the wood into the foam. So you slide it in there, and is it like a, a big giant piece of foam that you just kind of wrap it and glue it together, and then you st- is that how that works? Take us through the process. Let me tell you. Okay. These days, these days, the earlier boards were solid balsa, and you shaped the balsa, and that was a lot of work. Oh really? Once it went to once it went to foam, then the foam blanks are poured in a mold, which is basically the shape of the board, just a little bigger. And you cut that down the middle, and you put a wood stringer in it for longitudinal strength. And then once you shape it and you fiberglass it, then you know it's a it makes it strong enough. But to go back to what you said earlier, uh, if it's used, if those the boards we built in the fifties. If they're used in '60s, if they were used every day or quite often, they're not going to be a collector board today. Okay. Some of the boards that were used a little bit, maybe put in somebody's barn or something, in the, up in the rafters of the garage. Those are the finds that that uh, the boards are worth a bunch of money nowadays. Huh. Okay. That's fair. There's some music in the background. Somebody got music going on in the background there, Greg. Uh, I had my. Yeah, I had my Hawaiian music going. Oh, okay. Is that's it bothering you? No, no, no. I mean, it's <laughs> it's kind of a, like a, a backdrop, so it's cool. I just want to make sure it wasn't me. Okay. But anyway, okay. So, all right. So let's talk about some of the uh, daring surf experiences that you've had. 
So, Greg, why don't you tell us, uh, did you achieve every challenge that you went after, or is there one or two that you didn't, uh, you go, darn, man, I wish, uh, if I could turn time back, I would uh, go back and take that wave on again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, too, it's too embarrassing. That, well, that's, that's a okay. big ego trip when you start talking about big waves and all that, you know. Um, Greg, I have, Greg, you have, I've ridden most Greg, every wave I ever... Go ahead, Danny. Greg, you have to you have to understand Robert's not a surfer. <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not a surfer surfer in the sense of a surfer. Have I surfed? Yes. Do I know how to surf a little bit? Yeah. I'm your basic surfer, so I understand, you know, that but your culture is a different culture. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to I want you guys to build this picture for our listeners so that they get enthusiastic about it and they go out and they buy Greg Knoll surfboards and Bing surfboards. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to sell surfboards. Okay, you're talking. <laughs> um, you're talking about the big waves in Hawaii. Greg should talk about his Makaha experience. Okay, outside Makaha, and I think it was probably uh, one of the last times he uh, surfed big waves. Right, Greg? Yeah, uh, we had a, a big day, a real big day at Makaha, and basically, uh, it's been. You know, I went through an evolutionary process when I had been to the islands like eighty times or better, and over a a period of 20 years, I just tried to ride a little bigger wave than I did uh, the trip before, and it just gets in your blood, the adrenaline and the, the stoke and everything is uh, it's about as good as it gets, you know. It's it's not as good as sex, but it's right up there. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what to tell you. I've, I've, the day at Macaha was a day that uh, it was a big wave. In fact, my black and white shorts... Uh, by the end of the day, we're no longer black and white. It <laughs> <laughs> turned to brown and white. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Since you brought that up, you are well known for having what they call it was a nickname. It was called a jailhouse shorts or something like that. When it was, and it's because they were white with black stripes on them, right? Yeah. And uh, had that. Uh, but, I just started out. Bud Brown was the guy that <laughs> shot all the movies and stuff, and everybody's you know once a week he'd get his stuff developed, and we'd all gather at the sea view and everybody's stealing everybody's waves. They're going, Oh, that's me. That's this. That's so-and-so. And it happened. What was lies. So I just got a pair of jailhouse shorts and that way nobody could steal my waves and I didn't steal anybody else's. Really? Okay. I get it. Cause when you're out there and they're filming, you don't know who's who necessarily, right? That's how that all came about. It's a long way out. It's a long way out. Uh, Bing, tell us about one of your, uh, Great wave moments. I don't. I don't. I have. I just remember a whole lot of fun. A lot of really good surf. I really wasn't a big wave rider like Greg was. <clears throat> I rode some big waves, but mostly it was just the, the just the stoke of being on the beach and uh, and surfing with your friends. I mean that that was the whole sport. So it was like a big giant community, and everybody just kind of palsy welded around, right? Uh, absolutely. Okay, cool. Now, uh, since he's being modest. He's, he's got his sure good size waves. <laughs> well, you know, now, I was, go ahead. Let me say something. I was telling Robert earlier, Greg, I, I was telling him that after you and I have known each other like 70-some-plus years, and went in, in the early 50s we went through lots of experiences together, some we can talk about, some we can't, and... Uh, uh, we both, if, if we try and recount them right now, we'll both 
each have a different version of what happened. Do you agree? <laughs> yeah, you tell the story so many times. <laughs> starting to uh, take on a different life. Uh, oh, God. I, I got one, that just a real quick one. About, sure. Do you remember the time we, we went to the cove to go serving? To kind of let people know, Big and I were really close friends, from at least... I liked him. Maybe he hated me. I don't know. <laughs> but, oh, we were we were we were buddies. And we went surfing together at the cove, and there was uh, a dead skunk <laughs> along the uh, alongside the road. So I hopped out. I had a model A and tied a rope around him, and we drug him all the way back to the Manhattan Pier. Well, all these guys from the pier, the older guys that were, you know, we idolized. They were the best surfers, had the best look cars, the best looking girls. And Valsey was at the head of the list. And they, they all had, uh, there about to be 20 sleeping bags on the beach, which you'd never get away with today. And so I don't know you whether you were part of this deal or not, were you, Bing? We took I, remember that the, I, re- and, I remember the skunk. Yeah, we, uh, well, I put the skunk in Valsey's sleeping bag with his little paws hanging over and <laughs> you know, kind of put a smile on his face. And sure as hell, here comes Valzi at 2 o'clock in the morning with his, his uh, weekly uh, good-looking girl. <laughs> yeah. And they, they both jumped in his sleeping bag and there was this horrible scream. <laughs> and I could see, see him down by the water, you know, taking sand and trying to scrub the stink off of him. <laughs> So I probably put a pretty good dent in his love life that night. Uh, <laughs> As I recall, uh, Bing was Bing was he was a part of the deal, you know. He he was always oh, kind yeah. of he, he was too smart, you know. He sat back and watched me get in trouble, <laughs> and uh, and I did a pretty good job at that. No. <laughs> I remember one in I remember one instance, Greg, and you might remember it the same way you might not. But we had a wrestling match on the asphalt at the Manhattan Pier in the parking lot. There was, I, Over I believe a penny. it was a quarter. Was it a penny? No, it was, it was a penny. Something. In your mind, it was a penny. In my mind, it was a quarter. But in, with inflation, it was, I guess it would be a quarter. But anyway, we, <laughs> we, we rolled around wrestling. Here we are in trunks, no shoes, and, and getting all scraped up on the asphalt, fighting for this coin. And I, Greg was fighting because he really wanted the coin, and I was fighting because Greg really wanted the coin. <laughs> and I, I think, I, I believe he ended up with it. And I have to say this right now, Greg, in those days, Greg was a lot smaller than I was, but he was one tough son of a gun. <laughs> well, I remember that, that, that incident, too, and it's just the kind of stuff that kids do, and it was all good fun, you know, man. We had a great time. Those were some of the happiest times of my life, you know, uh, surfing and watching those guys. I remember I was really unhappy about not being 19 or 20 and being able to uh, knock off some of these good-looking gals that uh, <laughs> these guys These guys were, they'd come down in the, at night and the, there'd be a little moisture in the air and the sand would be all crisp. And the next morning, you'd wake up, and there'd be tracks back and forth from a girl's sleeping bag to the guy. <laughs> hey, listen, we got a few minutes left. You, uh, each one of you guys, why don't you go ahead and plug your uh, your your businesses now, the, the surfboard business a little bit. Bing, why don't you go ahead and do yours real quick? Well, I, I don't really have much to say other than uh, I, I'm really, really pleased that Matt Calvani has taken over building my boards. I, I actually ran into him. On the beach in Baja, I came out of the water from surfing, and 
he drove up. There were just a couple, three of us on the beach, and he drove up, and he recognized me, and we started talking, and he said he wanted to build my boards. And so when I went back through California, I stopped and talked to him, and we made a deal. And that was in 1970, and he's been building them ever since. Okay, so and it's, he's there. He's doing such a good job. I mean, we're selling it to thirteen or fourteen different countries right now, all over the United States, and uh, I couldn't be happier. I don't. I don't have to do anything other than uh, shake hands and kiss some babies and stuff once in a while when I go on to the event. So it's BingSurfboards.com. That's what it is. BingSurf.com. BingSurf.com. Okay, and Greg, uh, your your son's taking over your business, so it's. Uh, is it uh, Greg Knoll Surfboards and Contact Jed? Is that how it works? I think so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> well, you know what? I know that works because that's how I got a hold of you. I actually went to Greg Knoll Surfboards, and there's a little story there about you and then about Greg, and then uh, you go through the contact page. So it's uh, GregKnollSurfboards.com. How about that? I helped you out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's nice. You know, I don't really, uh, you know, I just work with it, Pinch. You know, he gets... If people want a board, that a particular board, you know, and they want to go to pinch, that's fine. And I work with him on the boards. We make them out of real exotic woods. You know, I live up here in wood country. Uh-huh. So a lot of times we'll be making them out of uh, you know, sometimes koa where we go over in the islands and get koa. Then there's myrtle wood and redwood and stuff like that up here, you know. But it's really yeah, great. an underground deal for us at this point. We just, we make about 10 boards a year and that's all. And get way too much money for them we get you know like seven to ten twelve grand oh wow yeah these are wall hangers that greg makes and they're absolutely beautiful okay incredible yeah so they're basically pieces of art is what they are i mean beautiful pieces of retro style surfboards okay good hey well listen we are uh up against the clock we're out of time but i want to thank both you guys for coming on the radio show this evening it was really a treat and, uh, you know, if I do this uh, Legends of the Summer next year, maybe we can have you guys on again. You can tell some more stories. And uh, who knows? Maybe by then I might have a Greg Knoll, an original Greg Knoll surfboard and a Bing surfboard that I probably found there in somebody's go. garage or a barn sometime. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I want to thank my special guest, Greg the Bull, or should I say double, Knoll, surfer legend or legendary surfer, and Bing Copeland. Bing, thank you very much. Both of you guys for coming on the show this evening. I truly enjoyed it. I wish you guys the best of luck. And if I ever get up to California, you know, maybe I run into you guys sometime. Be super. I'd look forward to it. Let me just say goodbye okay, to Bing. Man, okay. it's okay, good to hear your voice. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Robert. Good to hear you. Good to hey. hear yours, Greg. We we need to talk. Yeah, to you, you know, you're standing around scratching your ass sometimes. <laughs> Give me a call. <laughs> Let's I'll, talk I'll do it. You know. All right. All right. Hey, okay, you guys. Take care. Take care, guys. Thank you very much. Hey, I want to thank all my. Okay. <laughs> I want to thank all my listeners for tuning into Nostalgia Weekly Cards this evening. Don't forget to tell your friends uh, for the most legendary, fascinating names in motorsports, music, and surfing, right here. Every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that fun stuff. I want to see you guys at some of the car shows. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Oh, man, telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you...
you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.